good to hear. You know, Jesus is king, and he's still on the throne. He's still, he's still just doing great. Man, it is a, it is a, it is a great thing that he is because uh, that means we're winners and the enemy is lost. Um, but it's it's weird that if he's already won, then why are we in this battle of, for faith? And that's what we were talking about this morning. The worship team and the ministry moments, Pastor Mark, we were all just kind of talking. Uh, it's like the Lord's trying to help us process through what does it mean to fight in the battle of faith. And so today um, we're we're in our second week of. Um, of the book Unoffendable by Brant Hansen. By the way, if you need a book, they are $10, uh, and they, you can find those at the Welcome Center. This is what they look like. Um, that's what we're going through in huddles, and it is, um, it's, it's, it's a profound book. If we, can, if we can figure this one thing out, I tell, I tell students and children all alike, if you want to be in a winner in life, learn to deal with conflict. Because like we learned last week, it's not an issue of whether offense will come. It's coming. And last week, Pastor Tom's title was, When Opportunity Knocks, Don't Take the Opportunity. Don't Take the Offense. Did you take the opportunity this last week to be offended? Did you take the opportunity this morning getting to church to be offended? I know I have in this last week. And I'm not proud of that. But I strive towards God. I strive to become perfect. Perfect just as our Father in Heaven is perfect. And, uh, yeah, so as I strive for that, have mercy on me, and I'll have mercy on you, and then eventually we'll get there. Um, we we, talked, we uh, shared a video last week from Elevation Church by Pastor Stephen Furtick about how he used this illustration about how uh, he had, had fence panels, like you'd see here. There's fence panels, and each fence panel represented an offense, something that either someone that's close to you or someone that's far from you has done, said over your life or done to you. And when we receive an offense, it's like building an actual fence. That's the illustration he used. And how each fence panel, before you know it, we're in between those we love most. And, and there's, this, there's this massive wall of offense that we have built up. And it's so, the, the subtleness of offense, we might not even realize that we're offended. But God is constantly, he's searching our hearts and he asks us to do the same. Search your heart. Because the only reason why God would ever ask you to lay down a fence is because he knows it'll bring you peace, joy, and righteousness at the other side of it. And so he's not asking you to do something that he has, himself hasn't already done. So he's a, he's a good father. And, um, you know, uh, have you ever heard the, the phrase, uh, man, she has a thing for you. Or, oh, he has a thing. He has a thing, you know, for her. It's, it's generally when a group of people are talking about an individual who is romantically wanting a relationship with someone else. Man, she is into you. She really wants to be a... Re- I, w- I want to present a, an offensive title to you. An offensive title is that God has a thing for sinners. And what do I mean by sinners? Everyone in the room, we were sinners at least one time. I know I was. We were all sinners at one time, and God has a thing for sinners, whether you're saved or whether you're unsaved. The Bible talks about sinners as those who are sought, those who God had paid a a heavy price to go after. So he doesn't see you as a sinner, even though it's written down that way. 
He sees you as a, as a family member that has left home. And his plan is to restore every human, every human being. Your worst enemy, your best friend, the person in the office, the person who's not. Every human being, is the, the perfect will of God is restoration over every human being. Body, your physical ailment, your soul, the part you can't see, that's your mind, will, emotions, and your spirit. The spirit is what God told Adam and Eve, you eat, eat the fruit, that'll be the day that you die. He wasn't talking about their body and soul, he was talking about their spirit. It's a cut off, you're no longer alive in Christ, you're no longer alive in the Lord. And we, we only remain alive, as Heather already talked about, when we remain in Christ. He's the only one that actually brings life. It's not that you're a sinner and then he modifies you to become a saint. It's either you're dead or you're alive. There's no in-between. Your soul, our soul is what we're contending constantly for. God, renew my soul. Renew my soul. That's why we sing songs like, it is well with my soul, right? All right, all right. I think I still have some of you. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn to uh, John chapter 3, verse 16. Many of you know it, but if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to it. And I'll wait. <laughs> we got to memorize right here, but I, it, there's just something about seeing it. John 3.16. I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation today, and unless I otherwise specify, but the New Living Translation is the Bible in front of you. I want to read just the first few uh, words of this verse, John 3.16, and this is what I want to focus on. Then I want to move on. For God loved the world so much. God loved the world so much. For God loved the world so much. Now I'm going to go to Romans chapter 5 verse 8. It says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God has a thing for sinners. It wasn't when you were polished. It wasn't when you stopped your addictions. It wasn't when you showed up to church most of the time. It's when you were at your most utterly disgusting point. It's when I was at my most embarrassing point in my life is when he said, I'll die for John too. For God was in Christ. What am I doing here? I have five verses. This is the third one. That we're remembering what's in the heart of the Father towards this planet that we're on, the planet that we're stewarding for him. Okay, so if we forget what's in his heart, there's a big, big danger we're going to talk about that. But we're just remembering what's in God's heart. This is all, we've all read these verses, but let's just remember them. Second Corinthians 5.19 says, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Reconciling is a long word. It just means making things right, making a relationship right. He was making bringing the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation, of this restoration of family. God actually, in, in Romans, I believe it is, that we've been given the ministry to reconcile people, not just the message, but we've also been given the ministry. When, when your, your boss, when your friend, when your spouse, when your child comes in contact with a believer, the ministry is that we make Make the relationship connect between the father and that person. We are the middleman. Okay? 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord 
This is, this is regarding his return. Why hasn't the Lord come back yet? The Lord really isn't slow about his promise or his return, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. The only reason why Jesus has not blown the, blown the horn yet is because he's being patient for our sake, so that everyone, your neighbors, your bosses, your friends, your spouses, your kids, we all come to full restoration in Christ. That's, and the last one, Luke 15, 7. God has 100 sheep, one goes missing. He leaves the 99 and he pursues the one. And the day he finds him, he says, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. How much did Jesus have to suffer to make a way for people to come back to him? That would reveal how much he loves the world. How much, how much did Jesus have to suffer to bring back your unbelieving spouse, your unbelieving boss, a, a child of yours that has gone rogue and has left the, the family of the Lord? How much did Jesus have to suffer to make a way for them, even in their lost sin, to still come back? I want to show you some pictures, and uh, inevitably I'm going to offend someone, and I don't mean to, I really don't, um, but I want you to, to look at your own heart. I'm just going to go through these pictures, but I want you to look at your heart and see what the initial response is when you see these pictures, all right? Interesting thought I had during worship is, you know, every, every soldier by law has to stand and salute as he walks by. Majority of us we have issues not, not, not with the big ones. Most of our offenses come through our friends, our children, through our parents or spouse. I'm gonna just I'm gonna just choose one at random. I haven't thought about this. Um I guess let's just grab this guy. This guy holding up the flag has a name. I don't know it. He has a name. He, the Lord actually created him. Gave, he knows how many hairs are on his head. And bef- while he was like, before he was even created in the womb, God said, I knew you. This man has a, has a name. He has a name. And God's heart is restoring this man to him fully. Wherever you land on this, this issue... I'm not going to get into that today. If you want to have a one-on-one, that's fine. Uh, any of these issues, the border, down south, gangs, violence, 
abortion rights, even just religion, church, people, pastors that have done things that are wrong, straight up wrong. This generation, every single one of those people have, have an actual name. And the danger of when we lose sight of the way that Jesus sees for these people is that we actually become a judge and we start treating people the way they behave. That's very, very dangerous. Because if I was the one holding the flag and I, it's this life and that's it. It's either I'm going to find restoration because of you or I won't. Because God could, God could snap his fingers and say, everyone be saved. Boom. And everyone's saved. But he doesn't do that. He needs our agreement. He wants us to come to his vantage point and see the way he does. And that's one of the many reasons why we have, I want to talk about repentance, but that's one of the main reasons why we have to repent. Repent is a churchy word, but let me just break it down for you really quick. Repent, if you have repented, chances are you're a Christian. You, have, you, you were living your life, and you went to a Bible camp, you went to a church camp, you went to, you went to a, a church service, and you sat there, and the pastor was speaking about what Jesus did for you, and you felt this deep conviction about, like, wow, God is so good to me. Like, I should be guilty, but he's offering forgiveness. And this, there's, this, there's something in you that actually agrees with what's being said, and you feel remorse over your sin, and you say, I'm not going to do that anymore. And you turn from that, and you put faith and confidence in Jesus. And the moment you repent, that's, that's what a lot of people would say is the moment you repent. But what God is looking for are for Christians to live in repentance. And what repentance actually means, it's not a moment, it's a lifelong act. Of, of it's, it's actually of adjusting the way you're living to what the Lord, how the Lord lives. And the, the best per person that we have an example of this is Jesus. We adjust the way that we're living to the way that Jesus lived. Let me uh, scroll down here for a second. See, the Holy Spirit <clears throat> everything begins in our mind. The things that you will do today is because they started in your mind, you thought about them, and then you did them. So what you fill your mind with will oftentimes determine what we're actually doing in life. So that's why it's important to always be thinking about what's in God's head. We can't afford to ever have a thought in our heads about us or others that the Lord doesn't have in his head about us or others. So many times we, we will sin or mess up and we'll just be like, man, you know what, I'm just never going to kick this addiction. I just, I, you know, or you know what, my wife or my kids, they're always going to be like that, you know. It's just, is that thought passing through the mind of the Lord right now? Or is that a thought that's from the enemy and we're not recognizing it that way? Maybe it's just from us. and We're just agreeing with a thought that's really from the enemy. But my point is, is that it's so important that the thoughts we think start and remain in the mindset of Christ. In Proverbs 4.23, let's see if I can find it here. You know what, I'm actually going to skip down to Philippians 2.7. Philippians 2.7 says this. 
This is, this is how Jesus fought. When I say we've got to have the mind of Christ, this is what I mean. Jesus came from heaven to earth, and this was what was in his head. This is what he chose to do. It says, he gave up his divine privileges, and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. Jesus was with God. Jesus was God. Jesus had perfect relationship with the Father. Uh, but then Jesus came and lived on earth as a man. He was fully God still, but he, set, he, he gave up his divine privileges. He, he set them aside. Jesus would make statements like this. Don't you know that I can call a thousand, a legion of angels right now in a moment? They're still there, but he, he chose not to. Why? Why did God choose not to? Because he wanted to be able to say to you, every single day, I was just like you. Sometimes we, we live our life like Jesus doesn't understand our weaknesses, like he doesn't understand the struggle of faith that we had, like Jesus was just always in sync, perfect sync with the Father. This is what the high priest Hebrews 4.15, it says, This high priest, Jesus, of ours, understands our weakness, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. What if Jesus knew far less than we realize when he walked the planet? What if he didn't know as much as we credit him for knowing? We read passages like, Jesus, knowing what was in their hearts, responded this way. What if he only knew what was in their hearts a second before the moment? We think that when Jesus woke up, he just had every answer. Boom, boom. And it was just like, what if it was a continual turning back to the way that his father thought? Because it says in the Bible that he grew in favor with man and God. Why does that matter? Well, because Jesus can't really be a standard if he came full of all of his, his authority, all of his power, all of, of his omniscience, he just knows everything. If you know everything, if you know what someone is thinking across from you and you know that your, your wife or your kids are going to treat you that way or, or anyone, your boss, and they treat you a certain way, but you always know what's in their head so you always can respond correctly, there's really not a lot of faith in just always knowing. Faith is perceiving what God is thinking and acting upon it so I don't you we can have a talk about this later but I don't think that Jesus lived every single day knowing every single thing from the beginning from the moment he woke up to the moment he went to sleep what God was thinking why do you think Jesus had to learn how to pray Jesus had to learn how to draw from his father he actually had to learn it because he could have done it just by like you know I'll do it but why did he pray just so that he could teach us a lesson. Hey guys, you got to pray because look at me, I'm praying. I think it's because he's trying to model for us how to be a Christian. We have to have the same mindset as Christ. If we don't have the same mindset, we start looking at those pictures, we start looking at our family, we start looking at our friends, the way that their behavior presents itself. And it's once that those lens of offense go over our eyes, it's so hard to see the person sitting next to you differently than what they just did. A second before. God has a thing for sinners and messed up people. But God is merciful and He's kind and He's unbelievably faithful. 
Jesus went into the Jesus went to his cousin John the Baptist and told John, "You must baptize me." And John's like, "Well, you got to baptize me." Jesus is like, "No, baptize me." So John baptizes Jesus. Jesus comes up, and then the Spirit of God comes down in the form of a dove and rests on Jesus and remains. And Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy. And he, after the, the tempting, after uh, Jesus combats the enemy with the word of God, it says that he came out of the wilderness full of the Spirit. Made, imagine this. Dove, Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, lands on Jesus and remains. This is the, the, what we believe is the New Testament act of the, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He wants to baptize you in the Holy Spirit so that you can be empowered to witness. What does that mean? You can't witness to something you don't know. You can't witness to something that you're not thinking about. He wants to baptize you with himself so you can share his brain and he can share yours. He wants to co-labor with you and with me. He doesn't want, us, he doesn't want to sit inside of our brain like a bobcat and just control us like, do this, now do this. He could have done that by just saying, let there be an Adam and Eve that do everything I say. Love can't be fully realized outside of choices. And that's why it's important for us to yield again to what the Lord is saying. And that only comes when the Holy Spirit rests on us. And, and not just, not just the, the he, he doesn't just want this moment of, okay, yeah, it's, it's happened to you. He wants a lifelong act of turning back. Imagine a penthouse. A penthouse is on the top floor. Generally, it's on the top floor. That's the point that Jesus sees your worst enemy from constantly. He's like, man, I created them not for hell, for heaven. I like them. I like everything about them. I want them to come up. Obviously, there's things that he's going to have to deal with in them. But that's the way he sees. And if we're going to repent, we have to come up to that pent house. That's kind of a, a way to see it. If you're repenting, it just means that you're coming to a place that you see the same way that the Father sees the people around you. Or any, not just people, we're talking about people in offense today, but just any scenario. This is what um, Paul says. He says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Mindset, have the same mindset. Not not theory, have the same mindset. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says this, for who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. See, it's impossible to love your enemy if you don't have the mind of Christ. It actually doesn't make sense. But the kingdom is always upside down. The kingdom, the most violent act in the kingdom that we're after, is love. It's treating people the way that their sins don't deserve. And if you want to, you know, we we can break this. Well, what about those who, you know, this and this and this? You can make excuses after excuse after excuse after excuse just like I did for so many years to treat people the way their sins deserve. But that's not my place to do. And when it is my place to do, it's always in the context of full restoration, full love. This is what that same verse says from the Passion Translation. It says, Who has ever intimately known the mind of the Lord Yahweh? well enough to become his counselor. Christ has, and we possess Christ's perceptions. Jesus said, I don't do anything I don't see the Father doing. And I don't, I don't do anything, and I don't say anything I don't hear the Father saying to me. When is he saying it? Constantly, like just, you know, he dials it in and then he's good to go? I don't believe so. I think Jesus had 
to get away, to hear, to relearn how to communicate with his father in the context of faith. That's the war that we're in. We're in the war of faith. Jesus gives us an impossible, um, an impossible standard. But you're to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So check this out. Jesus says, be perfect. Okay, great. So I mess up once and you feel lousy. And then you mess up a second time and you feel even more lousy. And then it's just day after day. I mean, I used to be deep into addictions. And this was like the worst verse that I would have said over my life. Because, I, I mean, I remember praying prayers like I'd, I'd mess up really bad. And I'd just be like, God, I know you've forgiven me a hundred times. So I know you probably, I, I mean, I hope you forgive me one more time. Like that's literally where my emotions, my mind, my soul was. That was the condition of my soul. It was so lost and far out. And I was just like, God, one more time, I'm sorry. And then Jesus came in and changed everything. And if you're dealing with an addiction or some issue, I mean, think about the worst thing you've ever done. The worst thing that has never been voiced. You've never told a soul about it, but you did it. I would, uh, the things that I have done or have saw or, or any, it's so heinous and so immoral, but God has a thing for me. So when our leadership of this nation does something stupid because we're humans or because stubbornness or because of whatever, does something wrong, I wonder what kind of mercy we should give them the same mercy that we would want to receive when we do those types of things, when we don't see straight, when we're off, when we're, you know, sometimes I, sometimes I go in a, a spiritual funk, you know, I'm like, I'm doing great, and then for some reason, like a month, like I'm in a month of haze, I just can't see, I'm just like, I don't care, I'm apathetic, I'm just, there's just like this, ugh, just, okay, another day. I thank you for not treating me as I behave in those moments. Thank you for believing in me, for giving me a gift on my birthday. Uh, thank you for, for believing in me. If you and I really want to become friends, maybe you don't, maybe some of you guys don't even like me, that's okay. Our lead pastor will be back. <laughs> He'll be back hopefully next week. Pastor Mark will actually be bringing fire next week, so don't miss that. But if we're going to be real friends, we've got to actually learn to deal with conflict. Because it's easy to be like, oh, I like you, I like you, I like you. We agree on everything. We agree on everything. Well, I don't think that person should do this. You don't? Oh, I, did you know what he thinks? And, like, it's so silly, and that's such a terrible example. But my point is it's so subtle. My, my, my friend or my boss didn't look at me just right. He said something about me, and I just... Or maybe you're the complete extreme opposite. Maybe you're like, I don't give... I care what anyone says about me. I don't give anything. You, you can just back off. Maybe you're the complete opposite. You take that route. You're just like, no one's going to bug me because I don't give a care. That's not love either. That's just the opposite. It's proud. It's just pride. So there's pride or there's defeat. Somewhere in the middle is where we've got to find each other. I want to read to you just a, a portion of the book from Brant Hansen. He says this. Yes, we all deal with crazy people, judgmental people, 
People who believe deep down that their job after being invited into the party, that is the kingdom of God, is to keep others out of the party and then pat themselves on the back for taking a stand. I see this on Facebook constantly. Someone will post a picture and say, and to say they're even a Christian. And then, man, the, the comments just get lined up. Just, yeah, you know what? This is what my thought, my thought, my thought, my thought, my thought, my thought. And what people don't realize is that what you're, what you're actually writing is who you are. You're writing your response to this individual. And so I always tell people, like, if they were related to you, related to you closely into your immediate family, would you ever think about doing that? My wife messed up, or I messed up, and she posted a picture of me and said, man, John, he just really doesn't have a clue. Tell me your thoughts. I'd be like, Lord of the harvest, please. Unfriend, you know. <laughs> it's just so, it's, it's silly, but that's exactly how it works. And unfortunately, we think that as long as I don't know them, as long as I won't have an influence, or my, my opinion really doesn't matter, everything you give your yes to molds you. Everything that you're saying, yeah, I agree with that. My question is, are you agreeing with the thoughts that are in God's heart about whoever it's you're writing about? Don't take a stand because culture takes a stand. Take a stand for what's in the mind of the Father because the Father's mind is reckless. It's reckless in love. He has a thing for sinners. He, he really does. He has a thing for them. Um, I want to close here in just a minute because I want to I wanna actually take a, take a minute um, and, and do something here. There's two responses to the Christian life. Bless the children, Lord. Bless them. <laughs> They're having fun. Jesus, Jesus gets them. Um, there's two responses to the Christian life. Christian life, you can either wake up and just choose to be unoffendable, and you wake up and you know you go out there with God's help, and you know what, you wronged me, but I forgive you. You know your spouse comes to you and he's like, "Hey, you wronged me, but I forgive you," and you can do it pure. I'm just trying to josh around, or say your boss comes in and he you know lays into you. That's never happened before, by the way. Me and my boss, <laughs> we have a great relationship all the time. He is, yeah, he's, he, is a, he is closer than a brother. He really is. And he's been there for me through a lot. And uh, their, their entire family is very, very close to, to us. But there's two responses. You can either forgive constantly, just, you know, I'm going to just throw off those panels. I'm just going to stay, remain in unforgiveness. And that, I would say, is your basic Christian faith. When, if you say yes to Jesus, one of the contingencies is um, infinite forgiveness. That's a contingency of being in, the, in the, the faith. Jesus says, if you don't forgive others, I can't forgive you. Not because it's like, I'm going to teach you a lesson if you don't. He's just saying, if you're not forgiving, it's just because you don't understand how much you've been forgiven. Because I've forgiven you trillions and trillions and trillions of lifetimes in hell, and you can't forgive them. Uh, you said that thing to me in the van to school and now I'm offended and I'm just going to hold that forever. Like, you just don't understand. So I can't forgive you if, you if you can't accept or if you can't forgive 10 out of 10 times. 70 times 7, Jesus said. We learned that last week. The other response is actually to enter into the, this kind of, okay, I, just stay with me. It's to actually enter into what God created us for. In Exodus, 
In Exodus chapter 16, it says this. God is talking to the Israelites, and he's trying to give them identity. He's just pulled them out of Egypt, and he's trying to give them a purpose, what they're supposed to be doing in life. And that's what he tells them. And you will be my kingdom of priests. What's a priest? A priest is someone who knows what the Father is thinking constantly and releasing it to the people around you. In your context, it would be your family, your friends, your co-workers, whatever. Jesus is our advocate, not our accuser. The, there's only one accuser, and that's the enemy, and he hates us because we got mercy. Okay, So we're advocating for your boss. We're advocating for your, your kids. Be very careful what you're releasing over them. Call things that are in the, minds, the mind of the heart into existence, not things that are just a reaction, something. So, so this, is what, this is the point of this. You will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. In the book of, of Revelation, the very end of the story, God gives another passage, and it's basically the same thing. That the kingdom of priests have set up their reign on the planet. And some of you guys might argue, well, that's after, you know, when Jesus comes in the throne and all that stuff. What if it's not? What if it's right now? What if God actually wants you and I to step into the reality that God paid for? Why do we have to, why does the world have to go to pot? Why does the world have to become chaotic so that we can have the Lord come back and free us out of this mess. Why can't we become the priests of God, know what's in his heart, and release it around those, to those around us? So when we speak to our children, are we only speaking, seriously, get off the table, sit down, stop messing with this, stop, or are we saying, you're a son of God, you're created for greatness, and you have an ear that's sharp to the Holy Spirit? We have to call things in that are not yet. And that's over every single one of us. We're going to pray. Um, we're going to pray a prayer, and we're just going to say, "Father, uh, what I want to what I want to do is spend the last few minutes here is is actually asking God. God, what do you think about the person in front of me? So we're going to get in groups of two or three. Not yet. I'm going to show you a video. We're going to get in groups of two or three, and that's the only thing I want you to pray. God, what do you think about the person in front of me? And this is the nature of prophecy. This is the nature. It's, it's that if, if you were, God paid for you so that you can live from a 70 times 7 standard of forgiveness. Great, that's awesome. Forgive, forgive, forgive. That's like saying, God paid for you so you don't ever have to sin, so that you hate sin. Well, that's great. Awesome. Well, let's move past that. Let's move past the offense and let's actually start being productive Towards people. How do we do that? We become the kingdom of priests that he paid for. In the Old Testament, there was only one priest, a couple priests. There wasn't every human being being the priests of God. That's the great privilege that we have been given as a New Testament body. It's that we now host the presence of Jesus. We host the same spirit, the same dove that came and rested and remained on Jesus is the same spirit that rests on us. And you don't have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to have that same Holy Spirit. If you've given your yes to God, you've repented, you've, you've put, see God, 
I'm rough. I'm a rough, hot mess, but you got to work with me. Then he promises to give you his Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is primarily about you yielding to his, his, his way. He literally starts transforming the way you think. You wake up and you start thinking, wow, God, what are you doing today? It's just giving more of yourself to him. That's another series, another time. This is a video by one of the great pillars of faith in our body. I did not approach him. He approached me and he said, I have something that I want to deposit into you. And so this is a spoken word by one of our our greats in this body. This is a word about who you are once you've come into the faith. This is a word about you agreeing constantly over your children, your wife, your friends, your boss. The words that are spoken, these are the things that let you can let fill your minds constantly. So let's watch this. I'm a child of a living God. I'm here to God's joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I'm a new creation in Jesus. All things have passed away. All things become new. I'm a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. I'm not under guilt or condemnation. I refuse discouragement because it's not of God. God is the God of all encouragement. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Jesus, the law of spirit of life in Christ, has set me free from the law of sin and death. I do not listen to Satan's accusation. He's a liar, the father of lies. I gird up my loins with truth. Sin does not have dominion over me. I flee from temptation. But if I sin, I have an advocate with a father who, who is Jesus Christ. I confess my sins and forsake them, and God is faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I'm cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, overcomer because of the blood of Jesus, and the word of my testimony, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. I shall confute every tongue that rises up against me in judgment. My mind is renewed by the word of God. My weapons are not carnal, but are mighty through God, to the falling down a stronghold. I cast down every imagination, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. I bring every thought captive in obedience to truth. I am accepted in the beloved. Greater is he is in me than he is in the world. Nothing can separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus my Lord. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not a slave of sin but of righteousness. I continue in his word. I know the truth and the truth set me free. Because Christ has set me free, I'm free indeed. I've been delivered out of the domain of darkness, now I'm abiding in the kingdom of God. I'm not intimidated by the enemy's lies. He is defeated. For this purpose, Christ came into the world to destroy the works of the evil one. I submit to God, resist the devil, and the enemy flee from me in terror, because the Lord lives mightily in me. I give the devil no opportunity. I give no place to fear in my life. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of a sound mind. Terror should not come near me because the Lord is the strength of my life, and He always calls me to triumph in Christ Jesus. In Christ I'm the head, not the tail, I'm above and not beneath. A thousand shall fall at my side, ten thousand at my right hand, and none shall touch me. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. Far above principalities and powers, I have been given power to tread upon serpents, scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall injure me. No longer will the enemy oppress me. I defeat him by the authority that Christ has given me. 
I'm more than a conqueror through Christ. Amen. Jesus. Jesus is king. We We can either fill our minds with things that are true or not true. We can either become angry or we can be full of people full of gratitude towards the person sitting next to you. Marvin's one of those guys um, who I strive to be like. When I'm around him, it's an actual thing. An actual, my, the hope inside me, the spiritual aspect of hope inside me rises. He has the capacity. So when you actually get around Marvin, he actually increases hope. What hope is is that tomorrow's going to be better than today. In every realm, in the spiritual realm and in the natural realm. And when, you, when you're around Marvin and he prays for you, you pray for him, there's just a grace that he carries. And so when he, when he shared this, this, was not, this is not something that he's like, okay, I've got to read that, then I've got to read that, and then cut. And this was one take, and it's all memory, and he's just, he's just declaring it constantly. His, his late wife, Joyce, a great pillar of the faith, is now with Jesus. Uh, when she was sick in bed, he would decree this over her body constantly because he's filling his mind with what's in the mind of the father the last thing I'll just share with you here from this book it says this Hanson writes that's the thing about gratitude and anger they can't coexist it's one or the other one drains the very life from you and the other fills your life with wonder choose wisely what are you going to choose today over the one that you're offended towards or someone that's offended towards you. We can't afford to ever have a thought in our head about them that God doesn't have about them because then we start to, we're at war with him. So this is what I want us to do. Um, If we can have some soft music playing, just loud enough to kind of cover the, the conversation. I just want you to find a group of two or three, doesn't matter who it is, and you can do this wrong because we're not being tested. There's an... What I, what I want you to do, the, the exercise that I want you to exercise today is, I want you to be able to walk into Walmart or Lewis or Coborns and be like, God, what are you thinking? What are you thinking right now to the cashier? What are you thinking right now to the guy who's stocking the eggs? What are you thinking about the... That's our, the that is a better picture of our reality than anything than, than most things that you would like to accept over your life. We are a kingdom of priests. Release the Father. Release his thoughts over people. So I want you to go ahead and stand up with me. All the introverts are like, oh Lord, please help me. All the extroverts are like, let's get them, Jesus. We got. That's okay. That's all right. That's all right. This isn't a, you know, go karate. It's just an exercise to where you start to Maybe you've never done this before. Maybe you have, this is what you do all the time. This is who you are. That's great. Let's just help the room think this one question. God, what do you think about that person in front of me? And then out loud, pray over them. Okay? Does everyone have a understanding of what I'm saying? Is this pretty simple or do I, I give you a demonstration? So I can give you a demonstration if you need one. Demonstration? Or just go for it. Just go for it. All right. Awesome. So find a group of two or three um, because I want it to be personal. I don't want this, you know, 10, 15 people and you don't know what to do. Two or three people, try to find a group. God, what do you think about the person in front of me? 
and then in faith, release that over them out loud, okay? So find, find a group and um, then I'll come and close. You guys can just go ahead and finish up praying here in the next minute.
God, I thank you that you're a God who restores. Thank you, thank you that you're a God who has never treated us as our sins deserve. I thank you for my brothers and sisters that I get to do life with. That before the foundation of the world, God, you destined these, these days, these moments, God, that we can do life together. Lord, I pray that you help us to protect each other. That we forgive infinitely, God. That we don't treat people the way that they perform. But that we treat people with mercy and grace, God. And that we begin to build an allowance for faults. <clears throat> Thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name. And the last thing I just want to encourage you with is this. Is if there's someone that you're offended towards or someone that's offended that's offended you or you've offended, I think we all know. And you walk into the room or they walk into the room and there's this like, I wish they weren't in the room feeling. There's probably offense there. And I want to encourage you this week, even today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of restoration over those relationships. And sometimes when you're in the, in the heat of the moment and you're sitting in a place like this and you're receiving from the Lord, your heart is conditioned for mercy. And then when you leave this place, sometimes the brain kicks in and, we, and, and our brain sometimes can never take us to a place our heart can. So find mercy quickly. Find forgiveness quickly. This week, today, is the day to restore all things. So Jesus, I pray that you just bless us Thank you that you have. Thank you you've given us the Holy Spirit, the most precious person to be able to actually become perfect like you. You're so faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are my favorite. Love you guys. And um, also, just so you know, um, we have our Kidman meeting uh, directly following this, probably about 12, 12 o'clock we're going to start. So if you're interested in, in children's ministries, we're going to be talking about children's ministries. It's going to be uh, from 12 to 2. Um, you don't feel like you have to stay for the whole thing. Um, and we're going to dismiss as we go, but we're going to be talking about um, our kid ministry. So 12 to 2, hope to see you there.